Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Let's ride. for the words that are recited before each and every game here at Dodger Stadium. Take it away, Finn. It's time for Dodger Baseball. What is going on, Dodger fans? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Incline Dodgers podcast. We are presented by TickPick and FanSided. Kevin Klein here speaking. Hope everyone's having a nice month of January. We are now halfway through the month, and it feels like the Dodgers haven't really done anything since the Michael Bush trade, which we're going to get into, of course. The free agent market has completely died, as there really have been has been no activity on the market the last few days. I guess the off season is taking its own off season. <laughs> but before we get into all that fun analysis and jazz, Jake Reiner, what's new? How you doing? Tell us what's been going on. Um, not much is new, Kevin. Uh, I'll get into this a little bit later uh, as we get towards the end of the show. But I did attend the Emmys last night, which were was really really cool. I've never been wow. to one of those major award shows before and i had no business being there but i'll get into why i was there and a couple of uh, little tidbits that happened um other than that the dodgers are looking pretty sweet they seem to be the only one really doing anything of note uh the cubs have made a move the giants made a move but there's still a ton of huge free agents on the market and it kind of ties into teoscar hernandez i know he had his little Zoom press conference that we'll get into. But there's a huge reason why he signed a one-year deal and not the expected three- to four-year deal that people were projecting him to have. So it's a very interesting landscape. I kind of want to get your thoughts on it too, Kevin, because it is a weird offseason. I thought once Otani and Yamamoto signed, we were going to see basically the rest of the big you know, free agents that are already in Major League Baseball get signed yeah. and we haven't don't people want to know where they're going to live like come on don't you want to know where you're going to play i mean pitchers and catchers report <laughs> pretty soon like i'm a pretty punctual person if i was a free agent i would sacrifice a few million dollars just to know where i'm going to play next season i mean i don't know that it's i don't know that it's the free agents as much as it's these uh so many teams are so reluctant to spend that is also true First thing I want you people to do is hit the like button. But continuing on here, um, I think <laughs> his internet is terrible, guys. Just absolutely atrocious. Um, but I, I kind of want to get into what I was alluding to earlier, uh, which was um, Teoscar Hernandez signing that one-year deal. Because as he put it in his, his press conference, uh, he didn't really have much of a choice. It didn't seem like the market for Teoscar Hernandez was out there for him. It didn't seem like he got that three to four year deal he was seeking. And so he decided, well, 
what's the next best thing? I'm going to go to a team that's going to win and has a chance to win. He also gets to boost his market value and enter free agency next year because by his standards, he said he had a down year. And by Teoscar Hernandez standards, I would say that he's probably correct about that given what he has produced in the past for the Blue Jays. Now, a lot of that can be attributed to a number of things, being on a kind of mediocre-ish Mariners team. They were kind of in contention going down the stretch. But it also could be the fact that T-Mobile Park is just a very pitcher-friendly ballpark, and he had a tough time there. Now, Dodger Stadium has been uh, a pitcher-friendly park, uh, has been called that, but I think it's more hitter-friendly, certainly, than T-Mobile Park. What do you What do you make of this, Kev? Hopefully I'm back. I think my internet took a shit midstream, but that sucked. Um, but okay. So yeah, I've always been under the impression that it's hard to hit in T-Mobile Park for right-handed bats. No surprise. Adrian Beltre is the perfect example of a great right-handed guy that struggled in Seattle. And so for Teoscar Hernandez to publicly admit that, it makes sense. Because if you look at the home road splits for Teoscar, he hit 217 in Seattle and he hit 295 on the road versus a guy who just completely mashed in Toronto. Um, so I think my the biggest things that I took took up from Brandon Gomes actually is they're not concerned that he's a big strikeout guy and they don't plan to really tweak his swing. He, uh, they did say they did spot a few mechanical things that they do think they can correct, but overall they like his diversity quote unquote that Teoscar Hernandez is going to bring in terms of just his prowess and big swing and I guess miss potential as a bat, but they're willing to bank on a guy that's just pure power. So um, I like it. I think T Oscar is a great bounce back candidate. And even though he did technically struggle in Seattle, he still belted 25 plus home runs. So I'm not too concerned. Right. That was by his standards, a down year for him. That would work. I think anywhere that and above right in that sort of range because he's not going to be looked at as a guy that needs to carry the offense this lineup is already so stacked that he's just a complimentary bat in the middle of that order to add some pop and an everyday bat too which is important because last year the dodgers were just platoon happy all over the place kind of a you know scotch tape job last year with peralta and hayward um, and Kike Hernandez, it was just sort of a, a carousel out there. But now that we know that Mookie's going to be at second base, and we know that Teoscar is going to be in the outfield, that means the only platoon that's going to occur is going to be probably between Hayward and Taylor and Altman and those three. But I would imagine that Altman would also be in there versus lefties because last year he hit lefties well. There's some speculation that to start the season, they might platoon James Altman as well with Manuel Margot. They have to find a way to get Margot at bats on this roster somehow. And if we circle back to the very beginning of last season, James Altman was a platoon bat with Trace Thompson. And the Dodgers were adamant that they wanted to have that right-handed bat in center field. And unfortunately for Trace Thompson, he just wasn't very good. And so I feel like with what's going to happen again with James Outman is in order to get Margot's bat in the lineup, I expect that there are going to be some circumstances where Outman isn't in there against left-handed starters, and it's probably going to be Manuel Margot because where else are you going to play him? Right. That's that's what I want. That's what I wonder and also worry about 
just because you need if if Margot's going to be on the roster, you need to get him at bats somehow. But the problem is, is that if Altman can hit both righties and lefties, and if he's going well, if he's if he's heating up, I don't want to sit him versus a lefty just because it's a lefty. Like I I want to play the hot hand as much as possible. I know that Dave Roberts has a a, a big task in trying to get all these guys in there. And it's going to be even more complicated now that they have Otani at DH because in years past, they've been able to move that DH spot around to give guys a rest and get guys at more at-bats that way. And it kind of was a, a precursor last year when they had J.D. Martinez, but there was like a month and change where J.D. Martinez was hurt, so they were able to move that DH spot around. So it's going to be interesting to see how they juggle all of this. I just don't know where Margot fits. I mean, he's definitely going to get the least amount of at-bats uh, of any of the bench players. Maybe Miguel Rojas, too. Where They're, they're, they're going to have a low count of A-Bs. And I just don't know where, where, where they're going to fit. But hopefully, these guys play well enough to, to get more playing time. Okay, so Maria G said, no one could hear the question I asked. Every time I try to ask the question, I cut out. Let's try this a third time. I want everyone in the chat who's listening, this is going to be a delayed effect, but those who are watching after the live stream, please comment below because the Dodgers have one spot open on the 40-man roster. I want to know, who do you want the Dodgers to give that final roster spot to? We're going to interact and comment with everyone and see what everyone's opinions are. So I'm actually very fascinated because there is one spot now, and let's get into that trade involving the Dodgers and the Chicago Cubs. The Dodgers send off Michael Bush. It was inevitable. He was the Cinderella of this team. He was treated like he was the 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 house cleaner just sitting there in AAA. They didn't want to respect his talents. He just sat there in AAA till he was 26. Well, he's off to Chicago, and they packaged his buddy Yency Almonte off with him to the Chicago Cubs in exchange for a very promising young left-hander in Jackson Ferris and an outfielder that's got some hype as well, uh, Zaire Hope. So, Jake, what are your thoughts initially on the Dodgers finally swinging a trade with Michael Bush? I feel like we've been talking about this for almost two years now. He gets a chance to play potentially every day in Chicago, and that's Michael Bush I'm referring to. Well, I'm very happy for Bush because I feel like he's deserved this opportunity. AAA is just quite frankly, too easy for him. I mean, he had an incredible year last year in AAA. We didn't really get to see enough of him. I know people weren't as impressed with him as he was hyped to be, but I honestly didn't think we got enough uh, sample size. I mean, he didn't get enough at-bats. Even when he was on the roster, he didn't get in there consistently. There really was no place to play him. Defensively, they tried to move him around to the outfield. That didn't work because he's not that great of a defender. But he's a great hitter. I do remember that that one go-ahead RBI he hit in, at, at Petco Park. Uh, I remember that game because I was uh, I was working at KCAL um, and doing the, the the sports newscast there, mm. uh, Sports Central. And so I, I remember that uh, that opposite field go-ahead RBI that ended up uh, winning the game, or it, it either tied or, or it was a go-ahead run. Whatever, it doesn't matter. The point is, is that I'm just disappointed that the Dodgers didn't get more for Michael Bush when they could. I mean, if they looked at this and we all looked at it as people that are on the outside, we looked at this roster and we said, where the hell is he going to play? There was no spot for him. And I'm sure that the, that Andrew Friedman and, and the rest of those guys knew that too. So 
if that's the case, then then why wouldn't you try to sell as high as you could on him? And I know that we were gearing up for Otani this offseason, but if you were thinking about trading Michael Bush anyway, why wouldn't you have done it at the trade deadline last year when they needed a starting pitcher, for example, like a Jordan Montgomery? I'm pretty sure a package around Michael Bush would have gotten you Jordan Montgomery, and yeah. then we maybe maybe have a different story in the NLDS. Who knows? I mean, there's a bunch of woulda, coulda, shouldas in there. So I guess I guess hindsight is 2020. But we were talking about trading Michael Bush for the longest time. I mean, get something good for him. And I'm not saying that these minor leaguers that we got back from the Cubs won't turn out to be something. But it just feels like we just got and got cut him for no reason. Yeah, it sucks. And I could almost bet that Michael Bush was involved in that Eduardo Rodriguez trade that got vetoed. That's just my hunch feeling that oh, that was what point. that the Dodgers had that lined up. And with that being the trade that they were hoping to get in the bag, they just couldn't figure out anything else to scramble in time. Um, but that's a whole nother rant uh, in itself. But yeah, I mean, I feel bad for Bush. They waited till he was essentially t- the age of 26. And I'm not going to say they're going to lose this trade. In fact, they very well might win this trade and we'll get into why in a few minutes with these prospects. But I do kind of feel like they did sell a little low on Michael Bush. He is still in the top 50 of major league prospects, or I should say minor league prospects. And this has been an ongoing thing for the last year plus now. I'm not sure why the Dodgers couldn't have maybe done something last off season with Michael Bush when they could have definitely acquired some major league talent instead of banking on guys like Miguel Rojas and Noah Syndergaard, for example, they could have probably moved him for a way more serviceable player, but Hey, I'm not going to question the Dodgers um, in terms of what they're doing right now, since they're crushing it this off season. But I will say Michael Bush has a really good chance to have like the Max Muncie redemption arc story out in Chicago. If he's going to get every day at bats, he very well might hit anywhere between 25 and 30 home runs if he's playing every day in Chicago. So I'm going to root for Michael Bush. Uh, Now let's get with Yancy Almonte because this made all the sense in the world to just get rid of him. There really just wasn't room for Almonte on the bullpen. He was essentially the weak link on the Dodgers roster. 506 ERA last year. Hurt constantly. And the Dodgers had to get rid of him. They're going to have some arms that are going to be more serviceable for the upcoming season. Almonte also doesn't have any minor league options, so they can't send him down to triple a. So I like, I like getting rid of Almonte. Yeah. I, I, I kind of have mixed feelings about him because he was so good in 2022 and then he wasn't when he, when the, when the playoffs came around and that was kind of the beginning of the end for him. Because after that performance, nothing really happened in 2023. And he kind of went the way of Phil Bickford in a way where, you know, Phil Bickford was first brought on the scene. He was electric and we thought we had like another diamond in a rough. Well, we actually did. But for a short period of time, Almonte was the same thing. Um, the Dodger, what the Dodgers were able to do with him was pretty remarkable in, in getting him to, you know, develop that nasty sweeper that he has. But the problem was, is that he couldn't stay healthy. He couldn't stay on the mound. And then when he was there, he was ineffective last year. So I agree with the move. They needed to open up a roster spot. Didn't need to open up two. Like you said, Kevin, we still got one that we got to fill, but we did need to get rid of someone. 
And now this opens the door for maybe a, a Ryan Brazier reunion. That would be nice, like I've been saying, uh, or some other, you know, acceptable reliever out there. Uh, I know Josh Hader's name has been thrown around. Absolutely. And yeah, it's it's weird with Almonte because heading into 2023, we were talking about him being maybe the top setup guy, potentially closing out some games, and he regressed hardcore. So good riddance, I suppose. There's He's still relatively young and could bounce back with the Cubs. Let's get into who the Dodgers got now in exchange for those two 40-man roster spots. Jackson Ferris, as Jim Callis wrote for MLB Pipeline, could emerge and blossom into the number one left-handed left-handed pitching prospect within the next couple years. He throws a mid-90s fastball, a curveball, a slider, a changeup. That is the arsenal that you want from a left-handed starter. And the fact that he already has these pitches this young, he's only 19, very minimal experience at the single-A level. Um through about 50 something innings had 77 strikeouts ERA in the mid threes. Very promising. And the Dodgers, let's be real. This is a team that used to be loaded with left-handers and some really highly touted left-handed pitching prospects. Julio Urias obviously sticks out was once the top hand top left-handed pitching prospect in all of baseball. Clayton Kershaw, when he was come up and coming, he was the top left-handed pitching prospect in Major League Baseball, and now they're diversifying because there really aren't that many great lefties in the Dodgers system right now. So I think they found a good one in Ferris. Yeah, these guys seem very promising. And like like we always say, you can never have too much pitching. So, um, And now the Dodgers have Ferris Bueller. So that's, a, <laughs> that's another thing that people have pointed out. Um, hopefully he can make the roster while Walker Bueller is still on the team and the Dodgers are able to re-sign him and, you know, yada, yada, yada. Um, but yeah, I mean, this trade had to happen and hopefully it works out for both sides. I, based on everything that's happened so far this off season and Friedman, we trust, right? I mean, it's just, we, we'll, we'll just trust that they know that they know what they're doing. Um, the only, the only drawback that, I already brought up was I wish that we could have traded him for a little bit more and maybe a little bit sooner. So that does bring up the other, the other question here, which is, you know, it's got it. This has to indicate that the Dodgers at least believe in Miguel Vargas. They believe in him enough to keep him around. I mean, he hasn't been dealt yet. He's been brought up in a ton of different trade rumors. And again, he's another guy where, we don't know where exactly where he fits, like Andrew Vaughn is pointing out. Where do you guys think Miguel Vargas fits in with all of this? It's hard to say because now that you have Mookie as your everyday second baseman, he can't play second base now, even though he played a ton of second base last year. You're not going to put him in the outfield because the outfield's already stacked with better defenders, and you're not going to put him at third base because that's where Max Muncie is, and that's the only place they're going to put Max Muncie. So I don't really know what to do with Miguel Vargas at this point. I mean, is he a bench player? Is that enough for him to come off the bench and be like a role player? But then you have Manny, you have Manny Margot on the bench, and that guy's not going anywhere unless you trade him. In order for Miguel Vargas to get better and be in a rhythm, he's going to have to play every day, and the only way he can play every day is in AAA. And so for 
Miguel Vargas's role right now, he's probably got the worst role you could possibly have as a player in his position, which is you wait in AAA until somebody gets injured. And I mean, even that's insurance. Like, so what you're saying is, is he's just an insurance policy at this point. Yep. He's an insurance policy. And for the Dodgers, if there are no injuries, which we really don't want there to be injuries, then you try to cash that insurance policy in at the trade deadline and you get some pitching or an area of need because really the only path for Miguel Vargas to really play right now is third base, which is going to be Max Muncy the majority of the time. And with second base, if the Dodgers were to lose Mookie Betts, I guess, to an injury, I don't know if they're comfortable going with the Miguel Vargas at second base experiment again. When he got demoted back to AAA, Miguel Vargas played nothing but third base. So I don't know what's going to be his role for the AAA team this upcoming year, but I have to imagine Miguel Vargas will be starting the majority of his reps at his natural position, which is third base. And on that note, I want to comment because... We have super chats now, and I don't think we've had our first super chat yet. So whoever wants to have that honor, you have an opportunity to be the first ever Incline Dodgers super chat. And I'm on restream, so I'm not entirely sure if I'll be able to point it out immediately, but I'll figure it out. So I'm just going to throw that, throw that out there, guys. Uh, we'll get to some more questions just in a little bit on this show. Just a couple more topics to cover real quick. And let's go back to the rumor mill because Ken Rosenthal reported the other day that the Dodgers were going to do something kind of peculiar, peculiar, and that was try to trade Michael Bush and some prospects for Dylan Cease, but then flip Dylan Cease to the Baltimore Orioles for their prospects. How do you feel about that, Jake? Just, I don't get it. I mean, why, why have a third team involved there? It doesn't make much sense to me. I mean, what they did seemed a little less complicated. Also, why would you want to trade prospects for Dylan Cease only to flip him? I mean, I thought that that was the whole point was to build up this starting rotation. And honestly, we we could use maybe one more arm, you know, if if we're honest. So if they have if they have the prospect capital to get Dylan Cease, which it seems like they would if that rumor was true. Why not just keep him? Why why then dish it for more prospects? If your um, goal was to get prospects anyway, just trade them like you did to the Cubs, which is probably what, what they did. Don't, I don't know the validity of, the, of those rumors, but it just seems like a weird backwards way to do what they ultimately did. Hello, Tur- Turbo. Welcome. So, yeah, this is a weird one because I'm with Jake. I thought the Dodgers were all in on starting pitching right now and the White Sox are asking for a crazy haul for Dylan Cease I think it's like four top 100 prospects or something and so for the Dodgers to pull off this trade then that's telling me they don't really believe in their guys and they believe in the Baltimore Oriole guys even more but they'd have to give up more to get Dylan Cease and then hope that maybe the two or three prospects they get from Baltimore are better than the four or five that the Dodgers had to give up to get Dylan sees. And yeah, I looked it's at like, I, it's like that, uh, Zach Galifianakis meme in the hangover where he's like, you know, counting <laughs> cards. It's like, you gotta freaking figure it out. It's, it's too complicated. Yeah. And I was scrolling through all the Orioles top prospects and I'm no idiot. I know they probably have the best farm system in 
all of Major League Baseball right now. The Orioles have done a really good job of drafting and developing their guys. The only thing that's interesting, though, is that the Orioles really don't have any more pitching prospects in their pipeline. It's all position players. And I felt like the Dodgers, they don't really need position players because we are stuck in this limbo right now where it's like, where the hell are we playing Miguel Bush or Michael Bush? Traded him. Where the hell are we playing Miguel Vargas? Stuck in AAA. What are we going to do with Andy Pajes? Has a really great chance to crack the majors at some point this season, but maybe he doesn't. Diego Cartaya, kind of lost in AA land now because we have so many solid guys. And so I know that I mean, Andrew- what we really need, what we really need is shortstop depth, which we don't have. That's the key. If we're, if we want to get a position player to put behind uh, Gavin Lux and Miguel Rojas, I mean, that's the, that's the position I'm worried about the most in terms of injury, uh, it, you know, injuries to that, because if Gavin Lux is not healthy and he can't, you know, be sustainable at shortstop, then what do you do? You 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 obviously have to start Miguel Rojas, but then who spells Miguel Rojas? Are you comfortable then having Chris Taylor take reps at shortstop again? Is that what you want, or would you rather go out there and sign Kike Hernandez and make that you know your forty man roster full just to have that insurance there? So that would be the only position player that I would want the Dodgers to, to to get depth for, which is the shortstop position, which they don't have anything really. Yeah, shortstop is all going to ride on Gavin Lux right now. They did make that move to acquire Trey Sweeney from the Yankees. He's probably still a full year away, though, from cracking the majors. They have some depth, though, with um, Miguel Rojas, obviously, and Chris Taylor, who can play some short. Um, but I do feel like the only obvious move would be they'd have to trade for Willie Adamas if all things fell apart. That's really their that's really the the missing link if something were to happen to one of these guys depth wise. But for now, we kind of have to just ride with what we got. I mean, the, the, look, the, if, you go out, if you go out and get Willie Adamas, then then Gavin Lux Gavin Lux is not starting a shortstop, right? That's your Willie Adamas is your starting shortstop. Yeah. And I'm only saying go go after Willie Adamas at this point is is if one of these guys get hurt. I think the Dodgers are done adding position players at this point. Yeah. You can you can cross off the Kike Hernandez reunion. I don't think he's coming back. The Dodgers are going to use that last spot to acquire pitching. Whether it's Josh Hader, we've talked about him a lot, so I'm over that topic. Ryan Brazier seems like the chalk opinion. Um, the Dodgers love Ryan Brazier, so why not? Or they go out and sign that guy that I want, Robert Stevenson, because I feel like he's awesome. And I don't know why this was a rumor to start the hot stove and then it just disappeared. But there are a lot of bullpen arms out there. It's kind of insane. And they're all still free agents. Same with starting pitching. Same with starting pitching. I mean, James Paxton would be a great ad for the Dodgers or Michael Lorenzen. Just someone that can eat some innings, get some strikeouts if they do feel like they need to add a starter. Um, but until they, until there's more clarity, I feel like they might be done with the rotation. Yeah. It's just a little wobbly. That's all. I mean, I guess the, the last 40 man roster spot could go to Kershaw in all, you know, in, in, in theory, but then 
couldn't they sign Kershaw and move him to the 60 day? And then that opens up a 40 man spot as well. I don't know the exact date, but there is going to be a window of opportunity sometime next month, I believe right around spring training where all of a sudden Dustin may moves to the 60 day IL Tony Gonsolin moves to the 60 day IL. There's two more roster spots that the Dodgers can add. Then they could just get crazy and they could sign Brandon Woodruff and then move him to the 60 day IL. They could sign Clayton Kershaw, move him to the 60 day IL. You just stash all these pitchers. Exactly. So I feel like they're going to get creative at some point. It's just they're waiting for the rules to allow them to manipulate. And yeah. So take a quick break right here, I guess, to talk about tick pick. But before I do that, it's time to get some some it's time to get to some question and answers from you guys. So hit that like button, share this episode, start asking your questions. We're going to answer anything. So the crazier it is, the better you guys get creative down there in the chat. So this show is brought to you by tick pick NFL wildcard weekend was wild. Our Rams lost, unfortunately. So we're not going to talk about that, but if you have your team still in the NFL divisional race, why not buy your tickets on TickPick? Because there's no service fees at checkout and you get the best deals out there on the market. Other sports are actively going right now, like NBA, hockey. So if you're a big fan of those, highly recommend downloading the TickPick app because, again, the best deals out there on the open market. They're not going to screw you with fees. And there's Coachella. You can get your TickPick tickets to Coachella. Using that app, we're going to talk about Coachella in a little bit. Don't you worry. Sum 41 just announced. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The tour, you get your Sum 41 tickets probably now on TickPick. So yeah, they've got tickets to everything, guys. So no questions yet from anyone. Disappointed, but that's okay. Um, I I have a few things that I want to wanted to bring up about Teoscar Hernandez. Perfect. Um, because uh, I read through Jack Harris's article with the LA Times um, talking about his uh, press conference. And he had some pretty good quotes. I mean, obviously all the Dodgers that have been added in this offseason have said all the right things that they want to win. They wanted to come to an organization that was focused on winning. The Dodgers give them the best opportunity to win every year. All that stuff. I mean, that, all of that's obvious. Um, so they asked him why he'd want to take a one year deal versus trying to wait and see if he could get more years uh, from another team. And to Oscar said, quote, I'd rather take one year with the Dodgers and go to a team that's going to make me better. Hopefully everything goes well and we can win everything this year and see what happens next year. And I love that attitude because we always talk about contract years and players that all of a sudden become Babe Ruth out of nowhere because they're playing for that big bag. Teoscar Hernandez is doing that. Let's there's no mistake about that. But what's different in that statement that I felt is that he is focused on wanting to win it all, win it all costs. Hell yeah. That's what I'm talking about because that's extra motivation. When you have guys like that, that are fighting not only for a bigger bag, but also fighting for a title. 
we know how hard it is to get back to the promised land. The Dodgers are in a great position every year and they don't make it to the world series every year. Rarely they do. And when, even when they make it to the world series, they rarely win as with a lot of different franchises. So Teoscar knows that this might be his only year to win a world series. And if that's the case, if that's his mentality, he's going to be playing his goddamn heart out every day. And hopefully as we get into October, what did you make of that, Kevin? Definitely agree. This guy I think is the, the X factor that the Dodgers have been lacking. I've been the fool that thought maybe David Peralta could be him. I thought Joey Gallo could be him, but now I'm going on the hill that Teoscar Hernandez is going to be him. This guy (laughs) actually has power. Unlike the other two on a consistent basis, just based off the last five years of what we're looking at in a sample size scheme of things. And for Teoscar Hernandez, it's also interesting because we were kind of led down a false path that there was a super competitive market for him. Teams willing to go three to four years, which apparently turned out to all be bogus, which has been a kind of a common theme of this offseason of just a lot of false info thrown out there. Because in Teoscar's Zoom uh, introductory meeting earlier today, he basically said he kind of had a weaker market, was kind of disappointed he didn't get big multi-year offers and was willing to go with the one-year kind of prove-it deal with the Dodgers because of what Jake just said. He wants to win. He feels like the Dodgers is the best place to really get his career optimized. And so for all those factors, he chose the Los Angeles Dodgers, and he really is excited with the idea of playing with, of course, Shohei Otani. Definitely. And the other part that I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, Kevin, get your thoughts on, because I think it's an interesting topic. We kind of started the show talking about this, but just how slow this market is, how many, how much more talent is out there? I mean, the, 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 the Blake Snells of the world, the Jordan Montgomery's of the world, all those big names that are still out there, Josh Hader, um, Mm -hmm. a lot of big bats too, still out there that haven't found homes. So it's kind of weird that it's, it's, it's kind of like a, a desert wasteland out there at the moment. There are not a lot of teams there's a very short list of teams that are willing to pay big money. And that's crazy to me because now with the expanded playoffs, there's even more of an incentive, more of a shot that your team can make it to the playoffs. And, and we saw, I mean, come on, we saw what the diamondbacks were able to do. We've seen what the Washington nationals have been able to do in the postseason. All you got to do is get there. It doesn't matter if you're going up against a team that's more stacked than you. Obviously we've learned that firsthand. Yeah. So just about getting there and getting hot and anything can happen. So it's just a little weird how these owners are just kind of laid back. They're not really going for it. Like the Dodgers have gone for it. Uh, don't you find that odd? I mean, like, like teams like the Yankees and the Mets and the angels. I mean, what the hell are the angels doing? I don't get it. Uh, <laughs> it's just, it's just a weird kind of thing where it's like yeah. the Dodgers are making all these great moves. Everybody hates us. But then why isn't your team going out there and making any moves? It makes no sense. Yeah, there's a few former Dodgers I want to talk about. Cody Bellinger, there really is no market right now for Cody Bellinger. And it's probably because he's asking more than what he's worth. But the one that I'm kind of shocked about that there really hasn't been a peep in weeks is 
why aren't more teams actively trying to sign the all-star designated hitter that was for the suiting up for the Dodgers last year in JD Martinez? If you're a team like the Diamondbacks who were close to winning the World Series, or maybe you're a team like even the Giants who are sad but they need power, why aren't you calling a guy like JD Martinez to be in the cleanup spot? He is nothing but pure offense. I mean, the Giants are the only exception to this rule, right? Because they've tried to get all these big free agents and they've missed on all of them because nobody wants to go to San Francisco. So they're kind of the outlier in all of this. I bet you they've that's kicked fair. the tires on pretty much everybody at this point. Yeah, that that's fair. Yeah. We don't know if we don't know if Imanaga was going to go to the Giants or not, but I was surprised he actually didn't end up in San Francisco. But question from Javier T. What's the rotation going to look like if they stay with what they have? Well, it's going to be Yamamoto, Glasnow. Bueller's not going to start the season, is he? We have to see. They're... I heard reports that he won't. So if right. he's not in there, it'll be Yamamoto, Glasnow, Bobby Miller, um, Sheehan in there. Mm-hmm. Am I forgetting someone? Yarbrough? Yarbrough has a good chance. Yeah, I mean, the thing with Bueller is, like you said, they're going to try to limit his innings. I just kind of need to see what they do with him in spring training because if they're, like, fully letting him ride it out, then then why wouldn't he be on the opening day roster? But if they're going to really ramp him up slowly, then, yeah, they might ease him in and he might come in late April, early May. I, I mean, they can really afford to do that. With with how how stacked the the first three guys are in that rotation, and they have the depth to be able to fill out the rest of the five man without yeah. Bueller and let him kind of slowly ramp up. I I don't see any problem with that. Yeah, we're getting some good questions now coming through. So so thank you guys. Also hit that like button. Just like us, damn it. Um, so <laughs> I want to say because we're gonna start to really talk about spring training and preview all that in the coming weeks. No surprise here, but Gavin Stone is a big name to watch out for because he very well could win that number five spot if he really fl- has great flashes, kind of like he did a year ago. Yeah, he was, he, was, uh, he was all the talk in spring training last year. Yeah. Very excited for him. And then he gave up uh, 250 runs to the Rays <laughs> on that one day. Because a year ago, Michael Grove and Gavin uh, Michael Grove and Ryan Pepio were battling for that fifth spot and Ryan Pepio ultimately won until he got placed on the IL with the lat strain or whatnot. And so I kind of feel like Emmett Sheehan is a front runner without a doubt, really talented pitcher. But on the flip side of things, the Dodgers have to limit all these guys innings. And so wouldn't be surprised if Ryan Yarbrough is in the rotation. Emmett Sheehan might come out of the bullpen to start the season or he starts in triple a and they kind of, ease him in so that he's not burned out by the time we get to October. Cause that's going to be the huge thing with a lot of these guys is keeping them fresh until we get to the second half push. Nick Frosso has a great opportunity as well to really shine in spring training for the Dodgers. Now that he's on the 40 man roster, I expect to see some appearances out of him and then Landon Knack can't forget about him outside shot. But you never know. Maybe he works his way into the Dodgers rotation. Maybe not to start the season, but pretty early on. Because I'm going to... 
be inclined to think just based off this track record that one or two daughters always get always get hurt near the beginning of the season. And then we have to ride guys that we don't really want to ride. And we have the the worst luck with starting pitching injuries. We really do. And someone's going to get hurt. It's inevitable. What we can really hope for and just hold on to our butts and hope that no one misses the season. Yeah, no, it's, it's going to be an interesting it's going to be interesting how how it pans out because there's a lot of injury prone, a lot of rookies. Um, you know, a little similar to what we had last year, uh, although we have more firepower in the rotation this year, obviously. Definitely, Blaine Tain should Otani bat second. He has been the most intentionally walked player the past three seasons. Major League Baseball has changed, obviously, in many, many different ways. The rules, how it's played, the shifts, all of that. No more small ball. I mean, there is some now more than there was because of stolen bases and blah, blah, blah. But it seems as though the number two slot in the order is now your best hitter or Mm -hmm. the most powerful hitter in your lineup because it is, I think, designed – now to where the percentage wise your top three hitters are going to get the most at bats in any given game. And so if you put your best hitter second or your most productive hitter second, they're going to get the most at bats in a game second to the leadoff hitter. And you assume that the leadoff hitter is going to hopefully get on base for the powerful number two hitter. So you can't really go wrong, obviously, if you put Otani third or Freeman second or third, either one, right? I mean, either would work. But I think what they're going to do is probably keep Otani where he's been his entire career for the Angels, which is batting second. And then you have Freeman batting third. I know they don't like the lefty lefty back to back, but I mean, those two hitters are so good. It doesn't matter, in my opinion. Yeah, when Mike Trout was in his prime, he batted second for the Angels. Then Otani came along, and he took the number two spot. I have a really strong hunch that Otani will be batting second for the Dodgers. It just makes too much sense because Mookie Betts is obviously going to be the leadoff guy unless they get cute and change it up, which is very Dodgers-like to get cute and just change things up just for the hell of it because they get bored. Yeah, when, like putting Max Muncie in the leadoff spot. Yeah. Oh, good times. But yeah, you have Mookie in front of Shohei, and then that just gives a great opportunity for a guy like Freddie Freeman to drive home these two, assuming they're both on base. At the very least, Otani's going to tire these pitchers out, which really puts Freeman in a prime position because Freddie Freeman's that type of hitter. You can put him wherever in the lineup, and he's always going to be really comfortable. This is just the most pure hitter in all of baseball. And that's just what the luxury is to watch Freddie Freeman is now on an everyday basis. Like we all knew he was good when he was with the Braves, but now that he's on the Dodgers and you get to see him play every day, he, he almost never looks uncomfortable at the plate. He is just locked in. I don't know how he does it, but that's why he's a hall of fame player. Yeah. I don't know how he does it either. It's quite remarkable to watch him day in and day out when he was with the Braves. We didn't really get that opportunity until we played them, you know, once in a blue moon, but seeing him day in and day out is just, it's just such a treat. What a professional hitter. One more thing, one more note I'll say about the lineup that I just thought, which is 
You're going to bat Mookie leadoff because that's where he's had the most success in his career, and he doesn't really hit that well in any other slot in the order. You'd like him to be a little faster than he is. We've all talked about his kind of regression speed, but regardless, he's going to bat first. Otani's got great speed. So if Mookie's not on base, or even if he is, but let's say he's not, Otani gets on base, Freeman, who's a doubles machine, I mean, there's a one nothing score right there in the first inning. You know, like that, I feel like it's going to happen a lot. So another reason to put Otani second, I mean, he's got such great speed that he can get around and score on a double. No doubt about it. If you want to join our Discord, I just dropped it below in the chat. We've got a good group going now. It's getting pretty big. So join the Discord, talk some Dodgers, keep up with the rumors. It's going to be a fun season ahead. If you want to be up with us at three in the morning, talking Dodgers when they're in South Korea, let's F and go. Maria G diving deep into the Dodgers farm system. She wants to know about Kendall Williams. Will he see any playing time with the Dodgers this year? Kendall Williams is probably still one year away. If I'm being quite real with you, he got up to, I believe triple a to end the season. Didn't throw more than one appearance though. Got rocked. Uh, did pretty well in double A, 392 ERA, and kind of a minuscule sample size. What I expect for Kendall Williams, though, is he's going to probably be in triple A most of the year. Maybe if there is an injury and the Dodgers are desperate, they call him up. But first of all, the 40-man roster is not going to it's not gonna give that last spot to Kendall Williams. There's no reason to give it to him. And second of all, he's just not quite there yet. But I will say he's got some good stuff, can dial it up in the higher echelon for the fastball, has a good off-speed mix as well. So we'll see. But for now, no, because Nick Frosso, Landon Knack, Kyle Hurt, the list goes on. They all yeah. deserve their opportunity first. Dennis Gonzalez always hanging out with us. Question, how probable probable is it either Margot or Vargas becomes a trade ship for the Dodgers after the all-star break. It's, I mean, it's, I think it's obviously easier to move Vargas than it would be Margot. I mean, you could tack on Margot in a Vargas package. If you be a starting pitcher, most likely Um, you could package those two together, but trading Margot on its, on his own is not going to really net you that much. But like we talked about earlier, Kevin, I mean, it's nice to have Vargas as a, as a little trade chip. Oh, we lost Jake. Oh, here I am. What happened? We lost Jake for, you got kicked out for a second. Oh, damn. Um, I, what I was saying is, is that it's nice to have Vargas kind of in your back pocket. Um, so that if he's not getting any playing time and he's tearing it up in triple a, which we expect him to do, then, you have them to 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 bring back talent at at the trade deadline. The Dodgers seem to always magically trade players that are just doing terrible for us, and they get something back in return. We've traded Jake Lamb and got cash. We've traded Trace Thompson, got in cash. I think um, we've thrown Homer Bailey away. I don't think they got anything from him though. But uh, my point is, they could move. Manuel Margot, if he's just useless, and they'll get cash back. So I think it's very possible, at the very least, Margot, if he's not producing for the Dodgers, 
or isn't needed. They can move him for cash considerations. Everyone's favorite card. Um, <laughs> Miguel Vargas, we already talked about it in the first half of the show. He's a huge trade ship for the Dodgers. He might be maybe their biggest positional player trade ship they currently have right now because they're not going to trade Dalton rushing. Diego Cartaya has low stock value right now. He needs to really gain his value back. And Andy Pa has, I don't think they, the Dodgers anticipate trying to trade him either because they're high on him. And so I think Miguel Vargas, if he's squeezed out, he just naturally will be the biggest trade ship for the Dodgers. And odds are they're going to be aggressive at the deadline. Usually if they're aggressive at the deadline, that means that there is a positional need or someone got hurt. I don't really, you just have to kind of expect that knowing the Dodgers luck, that's going to happen. Whether it's they have to go all in for Corbin Burns or maybe they revisit this Dylan Cease idea. Something's going to happen or they maybe they just trade Miguel Vargas for a bullpen arm. I don't freaking know. They, You never know with this team. We've got one more question and then we'll kind of just get near the end of the show. Um, and I have one more topic I want to talk about. Javier T, I know it's negative to ask, but what do you all think happens to Urias? Is he going to the KVO? Is he going to Japan? Where is Urias going? I have a hard time believing that he's going to end up on a major league roster this season. Um, just based on the pure fact that this is now his second strike. The Dodgers gave him an opportunity after the first strike where the girl he was with dropped the charges. Um, he had to do some form of community service or some form of anger management or something to that effect. Um and the Dodgers gave him another chance. And then not only was he just horrendous last season as on the mound, he looked just not in shape and just the work ethic wasn't there. I mean, that alone would scare a lot of teams away from giving him big money. And then you add on top of that, the incident that he was involved in. I just don't see how a major league team would give him a contract. I mean, he's kind of in the same boat that Bauer's in right now, where I don't know what major league team would pay Bauer. And so if Arias wants to rebuild his image, he's going to probably have to pitch overseas. Wouldn't you think? Arias will not be pitching at in major league baseball in 2024, but I do think he has a better chance of returning to the sport than Trevor Bauer does simply because he hasn't burned as many bridges and so for Urias, maybe uh, he replaces Yoshinobu Yamamoto and he goes to that team and he becomes their ace and he turns or turn his career around and comes back for 2025. Um, but yeah, I don't think Urias will pitch at least in the USA for 2024. He screwed up big time and leave it at that. Andrea Chavez gun will have the best walk up song this season. I think she met who, but yeah, if she who, did meet who is going to, I but think. I like gun just let's bang. <laughs> I say Freddie Freeman stadium is always hyped when he bats because Freddie Freeman walks up to, uh, he walks up to bad bunny. Sometimes walks up to that saxophone song. I don't remember who sings it. It's the, it's, I just noticed the Charlie Freeman song. <laughs> uh, he chose it. So I don't know if he's sticking with that, but um who will have the best walk-up song i miss you know i miss aj pollock's walk-up song it was uh it was the fleetwood chain? mac 
yeah, yeah. the chain. I mean, I'm never going to bash Fleetwood Mac because they're one of the all-time best bands, but I'm not really going to a baseball game to hear the chain, but I guess it kind of fit AJ Pollock's persona. Chris Taylor always has solid walk-up songs, um, whether it's Dua Lipa, who slaps, or Blink-182, who rocks. Uh, CT3 knows music. He's not on the Dodgers anymore, but Justin Turner always had really good walk-up songs. He, he found a way to get the crowd hyped when he came to the plate. Um, I don't know. I don't know what Shohei Otani's song is going to be. I, I, I can't recall because I've never seen him play at Angel Stadium, only as a visitor. But I'm curious to see what his walk-up song will be. It's going to be a good one without a doubt because he's the best player in baseball. And yeah, I don't know. No one, no one else really impressed me last season with their walk-up song other than Freddie Freeman. He does a good job. So yeah. I agree with Andrea. This is a topic Jake will always love to talk about. What would it take for Jesus Lazardo of the Miami Marlins? Could you trade Cartaya and Vargas for him? I think certainly you could. You might have to add a pitcher, though. Yeah. You know, Jesus Lazardo would be like, I think, the best fit for the Dodgers of all left-handed pitchers right now altogether. Yes. I think he's just a guy waiting to be unlocked. And it's interesting because he started in Oakland, got traded to Miami, kind of fell off the cliff for a little bit because of some injuries, started to bounce back. But Miami just, they're, they're run by idiots. Let's be real. Like just so, so much negligence going on in that organization. And Luzardo is just someone that I think is just waiting for the prior lab and if we got as if we got our hands on him, he would be an all-star. He'd be a guy that probably pitches a 250 ERA, 200 innings close to that range. Like I feel like this is a guy that the Dodgers should be more aggressive on. I guess it's just a matter of are the Marlins being unreasonable on the other end with their demands. The Marlins are always being unreasonable. Them, the Pirates, I mean they are, there there are a few teams that always like to dick us around. Um, and just jack the price up uh, astronomically high because of the Dodgers. So, yeah, I mean, it might be a ridiculous package to get him, and that's probably why the Dodgers are a little reluctant to to give up that many prospects for that person. Yeah, we'll, we'll wait and see, but I feel like the Dodgers and Marlins are destined to make a big trade. We get Luzardo, we get Tanner Scott, we are rocking and rolling, and that transitions right into doom underscore sal good evening to you sal would we be happy with the dodgers lineup if the dodgers didn't make another move i would be and i don't think they will make another move to the to the starting lineup i mean if they do it would kind of be surprising but yes this lineup is great top to bottom no no real holes and like i've been saying for a long time the the guy i'm most excited for um, well, I shouldn't say the guy I'm most excited for, because I think the guy I'm most excited for is Shohei Otani, but yeah. I would say a little bit more under the radar guy that I'm most excited for would be Gavin Lux, because I want to see him play. I want to see him play every day. I want to see what he can do. And you know he's going to bat ninth, and you know he can handle it, because when he batted ninth in 2022, he was gar- he was great. So I think, yeah, I'm good with this lineup. I'm pretty sure everyone would be too. I'm good with the lineup. 
we need one more reliever. We're going to we're going to add a reliever. Take that to the bank. That is going to be the next Dodgers move. They're going to add a reliever. Just a matter of who. But I'm happy with the offseason. It's an A plus. It's the best offseason ever. If they did nothing else, I wouldn't complain. We're going to give uh, Justin Sutterfield now a question since I think this is his first time asking us anything. So welcome to the show, Justin. What about Nolan Arenado for Max Muncy, Margot, and two prospects? We give them players to compete this year and prospects for the future. So I will say, as a GM, you are brilliant. Now, in terms of reality, you are dreaming because the St. Louis Cardinals are not going to trade us Nolan Arenado, especially at this point in the season. If the Cardinals fall into another collapse like they did a year ago, it's a different discussion. Maybe the Dodgers can pull it off. But for right now, they're not going to do it because one, Max Muncy is a huge clubhouse component. They're not going to want to rock the chemistry by trading a guy like Max Muncy, even though Nolan Arenado is awesome. But they're not going to do that to Muncy because Max Muncy takes a pay cut every year to be a Los Angeles Dodger. We're paying him like $12 million when this guy could easily probably get $20 million plus in the open market. But he doesn't want to test free agency because he's loyal to the Dodgers. So they're not going to do that. Um, and then second of all, Nolan Arenado is kind of declining. He's not the same player he once was. I think this was like the first time ever he hasn't won a gold glove. His defense is starting to decline and the bat, he's not the same power hitter that he used to be. Um, right now in a vacuum, I do believe Max Muncy has more power than Nolan Arenado. Um, now the thing with Nolan, obviously, is he's a right-handed bat and can crush left-handed pitching, but the Dodgers addressed that need by signing Teoscar Hernandez. So I don't think this trade makes any sense right now in reality, though in theory it would be awesome. Yes, in theory it would be awesome. We've been wanting to make a deal with him for quite some time i know as dodgers fans we've been wanting nolan arenado the local kid to come home but i just don't think it's going to happen and typically when you know you would make a trade like this it would be to upgrade over max muncie and and i don't know that that arenado is that much of an upgrade over what you already have defensively absolutely and i think that that's one area where max muncie hopefully is working on that this off season because he's got to tighten it up over there uh, a little too inconsistent, um, which is, which is weird. Cause sometimes he'll bobble like a really routine play and then make a, an insane throw from deep in the hole at third base. So, I mean, it's kind of a, a, a weird thing he's got going on defensively. I don't know what the hell's going on there, but he needs to tighten that up. Uh, and when he, once he does that, it's going to be great. Agreed. Third annual Incline Awards voting is still going on. I'm dropping it in the chat right now. So if you haven't voted yet, get that voting in. God damn it. We need more sample size. We actually have more voters this year than we did last year. So that's good. But we still haven't topped year one. So let's beat that. Um, Coachella. The lineup dropped today. Jake, do you know anything about Coachella before I even <laughs> get into this? Of course I know I know what Coachella is. It's been uh something going on in the desert for as long as I can remember. And uh I've actually never I've actually never been to Coachella. I've always wanted to go, uh, but just never never did it. Um I, I would also yeah. be down to go to Stagecoach as well, which is in the same location. It but, is. Um yeah, I uh I know I know Coachella. It's a music festival, Kev. Every Good. uh every year, every April, right? Cool. Every April. Every it April. Happens. I've been to I've been to four or five Coachellas, uh, but it's been a minute now. 
So I'm kind of a veteran. I haven't been in quite some time though. Um, what are your lineup, thoughts on the lineup? Yeah. So this lineup, it's an average lineup. It's not great. It's not going to get me out there to the desert, but it's not terrible. It's not the worst lineup they've ever had at uh, the Indio Polo Grounds. But um, wanted to compare some of these artists to players right now. So I'm going to start with Doja Cat because one, I don't think she really has any business headlining Coachella. And if you disagree with me, let me hear it in the comments. A lot of especially. people would disagree with you about that, I would say. Doja Cat is like Blake Snell. She's had a couple really great hits, just like Blake Snell has had a couple really great seasons that have resulted in Cy Young's. But everything else, all things considered, has kind of been trash. And that's where Doja Cat lies, in my opinion. I don't think she's deserving of the headliner nod. Um... Lana Del Rey, on the other hand, she's a solid rock. Like everything she puts out for the most part is really, really good. Very talented artist. What the mainstream route and yet all things considered is is phenomenal. Has a great voice, really cares about the music, good to the fans. And so um, Lana Del Rey, let's say who would be a good comparison um she's she's like a freddie freeman i guess you could say pretty consistent every album is good so lana del rey freddie freeman you are the comparison peso pluma is on here well we'll just compare him to shelby miller because why the hell not that was his nickname for the dodgers um the cartel is after him but peso doesn't give a shit because he's awesome and he's killing it right now at the bottom of this coachella lineup I am intrigued because it does say, and no doubt, who have been disbanded for quite a few years. Uh, I guess Coachella got them back together. No doubt is going to be a Hall of Fame band one of these days. They haven't had any relevant hits in quite some time. And that's why No Doubt is like Joey Votto. Both <laughs> of them way past their prime. But when they were in their prime, they were freaking awesome. And they killed MVP. it. <laughs> An MVP diamond records no doubt gets the joey Votto nod um and then last but not least let's go with um ice spice why is ice spice second sub headliner on saturday she had she hasn't even had to work her way up in the ranks immediately gets instant gratification and instant fame for doing what i don't get it i don't i'm not saying ice spice isn't talented and all that she had one good record so far, but there's no way she sh she should be third on the Saturday line. So for now, Ice Spice and Fernando Tatis Jr., you are in the same tier. You're both young and inexperienced, a little both immature in my opinion, and you still have a lot to prove and you're getting all this credit and you haven't really proven it yet. Well, I don't know. I mean, you just kind of uh, downplayed Ice Spice's talent. And last time I checked, Fernando Tatis has a lot of talent. So... I guess that comparison, that's where it kind of goes off the rails for me, but I have zero authority to speak on this. So I, I, <laughs> I, I don't know if I agree with you or not, Kevin. How about that? All right. Like I just said, Ice Spice had a really good, I think it was her debut record. It was really good, but she's still unproven. That was the point I was trying to make there. I, I hear you. Looks like we don't really have any more final questions. If you want to get those questions in real quick, I'll spare you five more minutes. But in the meantime, Jake, 
Give me your final thoughts. Anything else you want to cover real quick before we log off? Yeah, I have one quick topic to talk about with you because the Dodgers keep signing players that have this attitude of wanting to win at all costs. And it and it mattered to them that the organization was committed to winning, i.e. Otani deferring all this money, right? And a bunch of these guys, Glasnow even said he didn't really care as much, uh, you know, that he made X amount of dollars. He just wants to win. And he wants to come to an organization that is committed to winning. And, and all of that is great. My question is, is where does that leave Mike Trout in the conversation of not greatest of all time, but like his legacy, let's say. Because it just doesn't seem to me, at least publicly, that he really cares that he's not on a winning franchise. I mean, he signed a huge, massive extension with the Angels, knowing everything that he knew about that organization and about where they were headed, and still decided to stick around there for a 400-plus million dollar contract. So that part is kind of weird. I mean, maybe he's just the type of guy that just wants to get the paycheck, wants to remain loyal, is content with just being, you know, on an average team of, I should say, below average team and just kind of ride off into the sunset and end his career like that. I'm curious what you think of a legacy like Mike Trout. How is he going to be looked at after his playing career is over? It's a really tough question. Mike Trout on paper right now, is the best of all the active players statistically. But I feel like when we start to look back on things in retrospect, people are going to say, like myself, I'm going to advocate that Mookie Betts had a better career than Mike Trout because Mookie Betts, year in and year out, was playing for contenders and won MVPs and won World Series. I would also argue that when when it's all said and done, Shohei Otani might be remembered as a better player than Mike Trout. We have 10 years of what is an infinite prophecy. And so let's see how that plays out. Um, I guess Mike Trout, I don't know. I feel like he's going to end up having like the Miguel Cabrera arc where when when he was in his prime, like everyone talked about Miguel Cabrera and then he just really fell off. And now I feel like the legacy look back on Cabrera hit a little bit. Yeah, except the fact that Cabrera has a title. He does have a title, and 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 he made his, like his rookie year though. No, but he made it. He made deep postseason runs with the Tigers. So I mean, there's there's a little bit of separation there. I I just feel that like I don't care if players chase money. You know, I don't care if they chase money. It's their lives. It's their careers. They have to maximize on their talent. They got to capitalize on their age and all of that stuff. I don't fault players at all for doing that. But the thing that does kind of stick with me a little bit is like, why don't you care about winning titles? Why isn't it your priority? Why isn't it something that you're playing for every single day? And why is it that you're not trying to do everything you can to get to that point? I mean, this is, you know, Damian Lillard could only hold out so far in Portland till he said, you know what? Fuck this. Trade me to the tra- trade me to the Bucks. And he's doing so well with the Bucks. And the Bucks look like a much improved team with him on it. So to me, it's like if Mike Trout's looking at this landscape and he's thinking, 
why wouldn't I want to go play for Philadelphia? You know, yeah. why would I want to come home and actually play in the postseason? Like, I just don't understand the mentality there as a player. I mean, I, you know, look, I'm not, I'm not a major league player, nor was I even close to being one, but I play rec league softball and I have a, a lot of passion when it comes to that. I've been playing it for years. I want to win. And none of that matters. We don't get paid. There's no like incentive for me to want to win. It's just something within you. And so for Mike Trout, I don't know, understand why that's not within him. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, and I think Justin has the best comparison. Mike Trout is basically the MLB version of Dan Marino. At one point, Dan Marino was viewed as the best quarterback ever, but he's not better than Joe Montana. Joe Montana has rings. He's not better than Tom Brady. Tom Brady has rings. He's not better than Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning has rings. He's not better than Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes has rings. And I think that's what's going to be the biggest knock against Mike Trout when it's all said and done with his career arc, unless he does what Jake says and goes to a contender because he doesn't have many prime years left. So if he's going to try to get, if he's going to try to get a ring, he's got to do it soon because he's not going to win with the angels and he's just rotting away in one of the worst organizations in baseball. And so when we look back at the conversations, like Mookie Betts has rings, Bryce Harper doesn't have rings, but at least he made it to a world series. Um, we'll see what happens with Juan Soto, but if Juan Soto is as young as they say he is, he still has a great career ahead of him and he could be better and remembered as a better player than Mike Trout. So there's a lot of endless possibilities right now. Um, That's the beauty of baseball. I do feel like ultimately success is measured on championships and that's how we drive it back to the Dodgers and why people want to come here because they want to win championships because winning rings is basically your legacy Kobe Bryant wouldn't be the same player if he never won a ring, but he won five with the Lakers. LeBron wouldn't have the same respect if he didn't win rings. He's won four in his career. And then, of course, Michael Jordan won six with the Bulls. So that's this is my stubborn opinion, but you're not an all-time great if you don't have championships to your name. I mean, or at least or at least putting yourself in a position to win one or, or, or just the attitude of it. I know that... I'm kind of stuck on this attitude thing, but it's just like, I don't want a player like that on, on a team that I root for. I just don't as great as, as great as Mike Trout is. And he's terrific. But when we get to October, I want Otani in there. Like that's the type of mentality that I want. And even like Mookie Betts, who has won championships, there's a little kind of like a uh, Lottie da kind of vibe from him when it comes to winning in the postseason. Like there just doesn't seem to have, that that anger that fire within him but we have enough players on this team i think that that kind of overrides overrides some of those quieter guys um in the clubhouse yeah all right this is our final thoughts i'm stealing your final thoughts because i want to remember to answer this question for steve m who asked me this in the discord before the show went live give me your favorite dodger that had a very short stint with the club you didn't specify the maximum amount of years, but give me your favorite quickie dodger. The the one that comes that one that comes to mind really fast is uh, Nomar Garcia Para. Um, okay. In uh, in two thousand six, uh, I believe he won the comeback player of the year, if I'm not mistaken. And in that year, he was electric. He was so good, and 
he was a part of that four plus one night, uh, the four consecutive home runs. And then he hit, he was the one that hit the walk-off. Um, I just, I just loved rooting for Nomar Garcia Parra. I wish that he had a more sustained career with us because the years after that, he was very injury prone and all of that. But, uh, Nomar comes to mind, uh, Justin in the chat mentioned Manny Ramirez. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. I mean, he was uh, Manny would, I mean, you, you, you can't top that just a, a, a electrifying persona and just clutch and just everything that came with Manny Ramirez. We've got Nomar mentioned as well to piggyback off you. Justin Yamas going with Max Scherzer. Harmony Davis going with Jeff Kent. <sighs> okay. This is going to get me some backlash. And it's kind of ironic because Jonathan Papelbon trashed him on a podcast like a week ago. But I was a big J.D. Drew guy. Oh, I th- God. I thought... His 2006 season with the Dodgers was spectacular. And I just, I really liked his plate approach. This was a high on base guy, had 20 home runs, 100 RBIs for the Dodgers. But then he opted out because he didn't like LA. So that sucked. But at the time, I really was a big JD Drew guy. Um, someone else that's more. He was sh- also part of the four plus one he, night. Yep. Another big reason to like him. Um, who else? Who. We got Gary Sheffield. That's a good one. We talked Love about Gary him. She- uh, Jose Lima. He was the only guy that won yes. the playoff game for us in, in 04. Uh, right? Was that 04? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mar- remember when I brought up Marlon Anderson? Marlon yes. Anderson, anyone? That guy, that guy was so good. Unbelievable for the Dodgers. Marlon Anderson was solid as could be. I feel like I'm missing. Okay. This one's really more recent, but I loved Albert Pujols as a Dodger. <laughs> that was, that was one of the fun. highlights. That was one of the highlights of the 21 season. Just having uncle Tio, as I call him in my one, <laughs> my one Wessa, but I loved Albert Pujols. My God, what a, what a short, but amazing stint. That was watching the big guy just up there swinging. Uh, someone said Odalis Perez for the temper flare on the Gatorade. I think you're thinking of Carlos Perez, <laughs> who was before Odalis Perez. Odalis Perez actually was was pretty nice. He was a he was an all star for the Dodgers. R.I.P. Too. Um, yeah, yeah. So many like lightning in a bottle players that the Dodgers had. I mean, I back in the day, I I loved. Uh, I love Derek Lowe and Brad Penny. I love those starting rotations. Those were fun. Um, and they were really, really good. Um, another guy that I really liked was Jason Worth, and I was really disappointed that they gave up. Oh, on I him. know. I was so bummed they got they got rid of him so oh, wow. fast. It is Albert Pujols' birthday today. What are the odds? Good job, uh, Justin Yamas. Yeah. But yes, uh, Jason Worth really liked him. Disappointed the Dodgers didn't believe in him. What what a hiccup that was. What a hiccup. Yeah, that was so bizarre. And he uh he had a, a crucial at bat in the uh Steve Finley Grand Slam. Steve Finley is another one. Um in the Steve Finley Grand Slam against the Giants in 04. Jason Worth had one of the in, most insane, ridiculous at bats that led to that moment. But Steve Finley, too, coming over in the deadline. 
he was awesome, not just for that one moment where the Dodgers knocked the Giants out uh, yeah. and, and secured the NL West, but Steve Finley was awesome uh, coming over in that trade. Steve Finley is that guy that had like 35 or so home runs in 04 and then was really bad for the Angels the next season. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, oh, O-Dog on opening day, Orlando Hudson. Amazing. Never understood. I never understood why he was a one-year player, and he kind of lost his role to Ronnie Belliard. Who Ronnie Belliard. Oh, good times. Well, Let's nothing wrap else up. here. Nothing here in the chat. So, thank you guys for all listening to this week's episode of the Incline Dodgers podcast. We'll be back when the Dodgers make some noise. But in the meantime, if you're enjoying the content, whether you're listening on the audio feed or watching on YouTube. Make sure to hit that like and subscribe button. And in the YouTube comments below, let us know who you want the Dodgers to give that final 40-man roster spot to. And make sure to rate and review this podcast. Thank you guys for hanging out. And we're uh, peacing out. So go Dodgers. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish that savory tartar sauce that melty cheese that pillowy bun yeah you get it Every time. And if you love the filet of fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just six dollars. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba da ba ba ba.